0: The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cotty, with Nissan on News Talk. Now, my next guest has more than 80, 80, million books in print worldwide. He is the number one best-selling author of numerous thrillers, including Don't Let Go, Fool Me Once, and the multi-award winning Myron Bolotar series. It gives me great, great pleasure to welcome Harlan Coben to The Hard Shoulder. Harlan, we will get to your latest book. I will find you in a minute. But first, I mean, this might seem like a strange question to ask, but uh, do, do you enjoy this part of the process?
1: You know, it's, there's a, an old song by Dan Fogelberg that comes around every year around New Year's Eve called uh, Same Old Lang Syne. It talks about <laughs> his lover in a grocery store. There's a line in there where he says, the audience is heavenly, but the traveling is hell. Okay. So I love meeting the readers. Yeah. I love all that. But, man, the airports and the hotels and... Eating poorly and all that stuff—that—that that I don't like. So,
0: I do, so you enjoy talking about yourself and your work, do you? I only about myself. That's the only thing I want to talk. about. Okay, yeah, let's go. All right, no, but forget the book. Actually, <laughs> well, this
1: part not, so, not necessarily so much. But you know, like I do, li- I do like meeting readers, and it's not that hard. You know, when authors complain, it's not that hard to to have people come up to you and say, "Can I have your autograph? I really like your book." That's really not that hard. If that's a hard job, you really haven't worked too many hard jobs.
0: Well, so you're not one of these authors who says, you know, I, I don't do it for the readers. I, I write for myself, really. That's crap.
1: Let I me mean, just <laughs> say straight out. You know, writers say a lot of things that are nonsense. But the biggest piece of nonsense a writer says is, I write only for myself. I don't care if anyone reads it. That's sort of saying, I talk only to myself. I don't care. It's like if you did your radio show only for you.
0: Yeah, would you do that? I I don't care if anyone listens, right? Of course, oh, it's no. nonsense. Just talking to myself. So as
1: a writer, you you don't you exist more as a writer. The more people read you, you write to communicate. I write to tell you a story. If I'm telling the story to myself, that's not
0: writing. That's something else. But I'm not going to say it on the air. Uh, the story I will find you. Uh, you they're very plot driven. People who read your books will know that. So we don't want to give too much away. But give us the blurb. Well, the first line of the book is um, I'm serving a I'm serving the fifth year of
1: a life sentence for murdering my own child. Spoiler alert, I didn't do it. So David is sitting in prison. Uh, His sister-in-law visits. She has a photograph. And in the back of the photograph, in the deep background, is a little boy that he's convinced is his son. And his son wasn't murdered. He's convinced. So he has to figure out what's really going on
0: here. That's how the story opens. And when you were out on the road, uh, as you are, uh, talking about this book, uh, have you already started the next book? Yes, I have to. Okay. Uh, Yeah. So, sure. do, you, do, you, do you, do you sometimes forget? A little bit of the last uh, book. I do. Yeah. I, I've written 35 <laughs> books, Kiernan, So I mean, I forget. Yeah. And how, I'm, get, I'm how, not how, getting any younger, how does, dude. how does that book start again? Well, what happens <laughs> in that one? <laughs> yeah. And sometimes, then sometimes you you tour again for the paperback. Now it's another year away. So oh yeah. you really start getting lost. So <laughs> what is the process? How long do you spend writing compared to the the, the this part of it? It's a, uh, It takes me about nine months a book. Okay. Compared to
1: childbirth. The best part's the idea. Wink, wink, wink. Uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, um, and, and some days you feel great, and some days you feel like there's a, a dump truck parked on your bladder. And at the end, you just want the dang thing out. You just got to get the dang thing out. So um, yeah, I do. About one, I do like one book a year, and then I have the mixing in with the TV stuff that I'm, I'm
0: doing. So. And how know, much are you enjoying that point? aspect of it? I I like the TV stuff. Yeah. I mean,
1: now that I've let go a little bit, I, I really. You know, the books. I can be a complete dictator, right? I can be in the book. I will find you, right? I'm I'm writer, director, producer. I do sound the lights. I'm key grip. I don't even know what a key grip is, but I'm that. And on set, you know, we're doing we're filming right now. Uh, Fool Me Once in Manchester with uh, Michelle Keegan and uh, Joanna Lumley and Adil Akhtar, uh, Emmet Scanlon, a homeboy here in, in Ireland, and Richard Armitage. And there, it's a it's a fun collaboration. I look at it like I'm captain of a a World Cup team. I just want all my players... I don't care who scores as long as we win. I want
0: them all to get big contracts when they come mm. back home. And we all celebrate things together. So well, have, is that That's the point you're at now. Were yeah. you always at that? Was there a period at the start when... when I guess you have to relinquish a bit of control, don't you, do. you? But because I saw the novel, I think I was
1: always okay with it. And I get that. I think the worst... TV adaptations are the ones that stay slavishly devoted to the text. Mm. If you watch The Stranger and you read the book, if, if you want, if you read the book The Stranger and then you want to watch the TV series and you want that TV series to be an exact replica, I'm not your guy. I like to change things. I like to move things around.
0: I don't want to write the same story twice. So um, I, that's how I work. So I, I, have you reached the point, I mean, given the phenomenal success you've had, 80 million plus books out there with your name on the front of them, do, do you do you still bristle when they're criticized? No. I, I, I really don't. And it sounds
1: it sounds highfalutin to say this. I'm at the stage where I know a bad review or a good review is not going to change my life very much. Okay. And so I just kind of I, – I don't really pay that much attention. I've had good reviews. I've had bad reviews. But I don't worry about that stuff anymore. No. But you used to? Oh, yeah, when you first start out. I remember one of my first reviews when I was really young – I had written a book, a small book, and nobody was reading it. The New York Times was going to review it. And the first line of the review was, it's too bad Miracle Cure is so poorly written. So, (laughs) (laughs)
0: There's not really much coming back from that, is there? It's a lie to say you don't
1: care. Of course everyone cares. Every writer you've ever met, you've had commercial writers in here, you've had mainstream writers, you've had literary writers. Every writer that I know wants two things, more sales and more critical acclaim. That's human nature. But the, you start letting go of it when you reach sort of my age and my stage. It's not that big a
0: deal. The other thing that all those writers you mentioned who've been in the studio with me say is, is you know, they got the bug early. As far back as they can remember, they were creating these worlds, and the kids would gather around them in school. And that's crap too. Ah no! Come on, <laughs> come on! No, that's crap. Writers say a lot of. I always love that. as my,
1: you know, the writer who says, "I always knew I would be a writer." When I was a three-month-old fetus, a pen formed in my mother's womb. Oh, come! And then my favorite is, right, I was six years old. The children gathered around me in the playground as I told them pirate tales. I'm like, you got beaten up in my neighborhood for that. And and I grew up in a tough neighborhood. So um, I came to it later in life, and I think, uh, you know, I've always loved reading. I always loved story, but I didn't always know I would be a writer, no.
0: Um, So, uh, can I ask about Myron as well, Uh, Myron uh, Bolotar, because it strikes me, I think myself and probably lots of people listening will know more about him than they will about you. That's just nice. But, uh, I suppose in a way, are they learning about you a little bit? I know it's the lazy question, you know, are you your main character? Right. But you are a little bit, aren't you? Yeah. Most writers
1: writers are. writers don't like to admit it, but I am Myron with Wish Fulfillment. Um, He's stronger he's faster he's a better basketball player than i was um he's smarter i am a better dancer i'll demonstrate but that's oh, on yeah, radio. Great. oh yeah right. it's a, such a pity it's such
0: a pity we don't have the
1: camera <laughs> <laughs> and i'm slightly wiser in the ways of women that's no great shakes it's not like you know it's like saying syphilis is better than gonorrhea we're not talking yeah, about yeah a low bar. bar there yeah, now. yeah. it's <laughs> a very low bar but i'm slightly wiser <laughs> but yeah so um when i created him but i also gave us a little bit of attention where he has what I want in life and I have what he wants in life. He always wants to get married and live in the burbs and have kids like I do. Um, So he doesn't get that. And uh, to be serious for a moment, I lost my parents at a young age. They were both gone by the time they were my age. And Myron gets to keep his parents. So the
0: relationship that Myron Bolotar has with his parents is what I imagine I would have had my parents survive. And uh, it's actually interesting you mention because so many – novels in this in this field i i i I don't want to be critical of other writers i mean they're they're all doing something i couldn't do but i i guess there's a template isn't there for the the protagonist kind of the taciturn detective kind of born of trauma you know what i mean dad used to beat him with a tire iron or whatever you know and (laughs) mom was drunk in the corner right um and uh, myron's not like that. No, I actually potentially sort
1: of subverted that. I mean, when, when the books first came out, Myron actually lived in the basement with his parents. He mm. adores his parents. He loves his parents. In fact, I just started a, my next book, uh, Give It Away, is going to be a Myron Bolotar. And on the first page, his parents are now older. They live down in Florida. And the dad calls them up to say that the dad and the mom have discovered edibles. <laughs> so, <laughs> Brilliant. So to see how this uh, – they're about 80 now, how they're going to handle – Um, The Edibles Revolution. So I've always wanted that. You know, the the tradition of Raymond Chandler, who I loved, and all those guys was the the detective walks down these mean streets alone. Mm. Myron walks nowhere alone. He's always got Wynn with him or Esperanza. It's just a different kind of a, a a person.
0: Well, listen, we wish you well with the, the, the next uh, Myron novel. We wish you well as well with I Will Find You and the continued tour and the traveling. You'll have to endure it yeah. uh, for, for another little while. Champagne um, problem. W- what are you reading at the moment yourself? Uh, I just finished um, Dennis Lehane's
1: upcoming novel, which is called uh, Small Mercies. It's coming out in April or May. I got an advanced copy. And Dennis is
0: a, a friend and one of my favorite writers, so I highly recommend you start looking up that one. When All right. For anyone who's there, book club picks. Coming up, Harlan Cobins, I will find you, or Dennis Lehane, small mercies as well. Harlan, thank you so much, and it uh, been a great pleasure talking to you. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.